G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Life, Culture and Current Events from a Biblical Perspective, 2020 on Vision. What does it mean when someone asks, are you walking in resurrection life? And for some, you'll be going, what does all that mean? Others are saying, well, that sounds a bit confronting. Well, we're unpacking some life-changing thoughts today with the co-author of a new book that promises to be a practical tool for personal discipleship, mentoring, and preaching. The book is called Rise, Reimagining the Resurrection Life. It's based on the lived experiences of the two authors as pastors, mentors, and educators. They say we are forgiven in order to be restored. If the forgiveness of the cross clears the ground of the soul, then the resurrection is the instrument with which a new gardener replants the Creator's image. Well, our special guest today is the Reverend Dr. Ross Clifford, the principal of Morling Bible College in Sydney, the largest ministry training college in Australia. He's co-written his new book with Jim Bocom, the senior pastor of Columbia Church, Virginia, in the United States. But Ross Clifford, our guest through this next hour. Ross, a special welcome back to 2020. Good to be with you, Neil. Hey, Ross, congratulations the release of your latest book. You've written many books before, and I'm sure you'll say this is the best one yet. But, uh, but Rise, Reimagining the Resurrection Life. Give us uh, some impressions, some big-picture thoughts on, on your book. Look, Neil, I think like many, I, I struggle to work out at times what it means to live with Christ, to have Christ in your life. I mean, we all talk about yeah, Christ with us in everyday situations and the empowerment of Christ. Understand that. But what what's the dramatic change for me because Jesus is resurrected? What's the dramatic change for me now? And this book says it's about reclaiming all that was lost. It's taking us back into Genesis 1 and 2 and the Garden of Eden and looking at how we were made, what our relationship was with God, what work looked like, what family looked like, uh, what rest looked like, what love looked like, what marriage looked like, and saying, hey, that's what Jesus has come to do. He's come to reverse what was lost in the fall and bring us back into the garden. And when you're born into life today and you think this is just all there is, it can be an eye-opener to think that there is something about humanity that was lost in the fall that can be recaptured, regained, rebirthed today. Do you find, Ross, even in your lecturing and the way you talk to people, that people think that living in what we live in today is all there is? Uh, Is there an ignorance around about something extra and different dimension of your life? Oh, look, there is, Neil. I think many people feel that to give your life to Jesus is wonderful and you've got the security of heaven locked in. Absolutely. I want to fully support that and 
and heaven is where the great reversal uh, takes place. But Jesus makes it very clear that heaven has started amongst us now. The Spirit is doing a work in us now, doing a work in his church and his people now. And so as we look forward to eternity, Neil, it's really important. We take, we take the promises of God. We reclaim what it means to be truly human for ourselves, and we reflect and model that for our community. We live and have a taste of the divine eternity now. Now, so many of our listeners today will be familiar with the gospel accounts of Jesus' life. Uh, Jesus in the incarnation, born in human form, uh, the body of a man. You call him the God-man. And after the resurrection, you know, because the death on the cross and uh, those days in the tomb, then the resurrected body of Jesus out of the tomb. Now, taking you into some deeper waters here, Ross, but was the body of Jesus coming out of the tomb somewhat different to the body of Jesus that he was born in? And is that some sort of uh, illustration here for us of what resurrection life starts to appear like, that things are different? Look, good question. Things are different, uh, but it was still a physical body. All of Jesus had been raised, Neil. There was nothing left in the tomb. I mean, there, weren't, there wasn't a leg or part of him left in the tomb. It was all raised, all transformed. It was physical because he could eat fish. They could touch him. They could see him. But it also didn't have the binds that we know that are appropriate life here and now. So for us, we can see the, the, the body in eternity is going to be physical and real, but changed and transformed. At the moment, we live in expectation of that, but we know that Jesus is concerned about all of us because he was raised as a whole person. So I don't know if, if that's nailed it, Neil, but I think people need to remember that Jesus was raised physical but transformed we wait that final state in eternity but at the moment we still live as resurrected people transformed by his spirit this is uh, what i was getting at i think is the wonderful thing we might appreciate as christian believers that there is a physical and a transformed and there's an overlap the overlap that happens there And I imagine, and I'll get your thoughts here, uh, you know, when we're born again, which the Bible talks about there and certainly in John chapter 3, the new birth starts the eternal journey while we're still in the physical. Is this the way you might understand that? Oh, absolutely, Neil. And uh, we still look to that day, but we know for the present We have the model and the understanding that life is about resurrection. It is about the whole of me being empowered by God. It's about God concerned for the whole of me, as he was with respect to his son Jesus, raising the whole of Jesus back to life. But as we step towards eternity, we know that the spirit within us will continue to do our work and change us into the very image of the risen Christ, uh, that we will be like him. I mean, Philippians tells us that when the Lord Jesus comes back, we will be raised to be like him. 
but at the moment, we have a taste of that now. We, we have a taste of what that means. A taste of eternity, but also the lingering remnants of the fall. Now, mm. take us back to the Garden of Eden here, Ross. If we're going to understand what it is to walk in resurrection life, perhaps we need to understand what's been lost. If you're reflecting on the Garden of Eden, give us some insight here into what we might need to understand from Genesis chapter 1 and chapter 2. Well, God made, and it was good. Everything was good in Genesis 1 and 2. Uh, And work was good. Labor was good. uh, Our whole being was good before God. Our wellness, uh, our rest, the way that work with God, everything was good. God made everything well. But the key is, Neil, that he made us to love him. And loving God was good. So there's God in the garden. We're his creation. His creation is good. And our relationship with him is good. But also our relationship with each other. Adam and Eve's relationship with each other was good. But then they fell to temptation. Then they fell to the devil. Then they decided to go their own path and not hear what God was saying, but make their own decisions about life. So when God said, don't do something, they went, oh, yeah, that sounds okay, but we're, we're pretty strong. You know, we're in the image of the Almighty or whatever. We'll make our own choices. No, we'll, we'll do that. We'll betray God. We'll eat of this. And shame came in. They realized the moment they'd done that, they started to hide in the garden. But So they fell out of relationship with God, Neil. But more than that, that happens in Genesis 3. In Genesis 4, you've got brother killing brother. So when you fell out of relationship with God, you fell out with relationship with your neighbor. And so the result of the fall is that we're out of relationship with God and we're out of our relationship with our neighbor. And so that's why Jesus said, sum up all the law, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind and soul, and love your neighbor as yourself. He is the new garden. The women go into the garden. Mary meets the gardener. It's the first day of the week. All the Gospels tell us of the Resurrection Sunday. It's the first day of the new creation, the new order. They go into the garden. There's a new gardener, and he has reversed the fall, taken our sin. Our Spirit of God is going to be on us, risen life, and the new day is loving God, loving our neighbor, Phil, uh, Neil. It's as simple as that. Loving God, loving neighbor. That's what's come as a result of the Lord Jesus being in control of our life and our church. So what does it mean to love God, love our neighbour? How do we move that forward? Well, we go back to the garden. What's it mean to be in marriage where you loved and respected your neighbour, your spouse? What does it mean to work where you work faithfully towards God but also faithfully to your neighbour? You know, no sweatshops, Neil. (laughs) What's it mean to rest where we honour God and we also honour our family and our relationships? Um, what's it mean to care for our creation? What God has made responsibly as stewards, but we do that responsibly for each other. Mate, it's the great reversal. <laughs> it's the great reversal. And that's what Tolkien was on in Lord of the Rings. That's what C.S. Lewis is on in Narnia. You know, dealing with evil, fighting evil, and moving into the great reversal, the new day, paradise lost. Paradise Regained. Wonderful. Wonderful insights. And we'll unpack some of the thoughts that you've presented there, Ross. Just wonderful. Let me bring you back to that quote that comes from your book uh, that I read in the introduction. We're forgiven 
In order to be restored, if the forgiveness of the cross clears the ground of the soul, then the resurrection is the instrument with which the new gardener replants the creator's image. So when we talk about being created in the image and likeness of God, and that perfect image there in the pre-fall, Adam and Eve, to a disruption of that image and now talking about a restoration of that image how important is it talking about the new gardener and the new image that comes on the life of the believer when they are born again oh look it's vital because i i personally know many people happened in my own life that i understand the forgiveness but i never really understood what it meant to be in christ what it really means to walk with Christ. So, you know, I've got the Holy Spirit with me. That's significant and whatever. How do I really unpack that? So there's four stages. It's like a symphony. It's like a great piece of music. They always have first stages. They have the ideal, and that's the Garden of Eden. Then they have the fall, and that's what we get in Genesis 3. Then we have the stage of reconstruction and forgiveness. That's what happens in the cross. My, the sin of the fall, my sins, all the things that I've done to get myself out of kilter with my neighbour and God, they're, they're hanging on the cross in the Lord Jesus. So therefore, my slate, my, my slate is blank. My sin is taken. But that's where the church has often stopped, Neil. It's not just a blank slate. Now, God starts to write on that slate. And that's the fourth and final step. And what he writes on this slate is Ross... You are now in the garden. You are now back to Genesis 1 and 2. This is now how you'll see work. This is now how you'll see rest. This is now how you'll see love. This is how you'll now see marriage. This is how you'll now see me. This is now how you'll see my neighbor. I'm writing on your slate. It was blank, forgiven. Now I'm writing the journey on your slate. Amen. Let's get on with it. Helping you make sense of life, culture and current events from a biblical perspective. 2020 on Vision. Our special guest is the Reverend Dr. Ross Clifford. His new book is called Rise, Reimagining the Resurrection Life. Our talkback line is open on 1-800-316-316. You can join in our conversation, 1-800-316-316. In fact, Ross, why don't we take a call or two, and listeners might like to direct the way our conversation goes uh, through this hour. Let's take a call from Chris in Edith Vale in Melbourne. Hello, Chris. Welcome along. Yeah, hi. Uh, really enjoying your talk, and, uh, yeah, just the points about... Uh, the reversal, the great reversal, um, and also that happens when you find Jesus in your life. And, 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 and then uh, the point about the empty slate uh, and how God can rewrite on that empty slate. That's really interesting because, yeah, it's sort of like, yeah, what happens now? And then it's like, yeah, then God begins to rewrite on that empty slate. And that's a really interesting idea, I think. Wonderful stuff, Chris. Uh, your thoughts, Ross? Oh, look, Chris, I'm a fan of yours, mate. <laughs> You've summed it up so well. Uh, look, I couldn't agree more, Chris. And I think the important thing is that we as individuals and, and our churches and communities really preach the empty slate, but we also preach the other side of the coin. Now Jesus is writing on that about what it means to live for him 
and how we hold each other accountable and how we pray for the Holy Spirit to empower us to do work and family and life as it is meant to be. And, mate, Chris, I think people out there are looking for this. I think people are looking to be the best person they can possibly be, but they've got no idea what that looks like. They go to every self-help book they can imagine. They try every discipline under the sun, and it's all in the power of the death and resurrection of Jesus. Wonderful stuff, Chris. Thank you so much for your call. 1-800-316-316 to join in our conversation. Interesting here, before we take another call, Ross, uh, the work of the evangelist, oftentimes we'll think about the evangelist as winning a soul. Does it actually improve and increase our value on the Bible teacher because they're the ones who are really teaching us how to write on that slate? Any thoughts here? Yeah, look, it's absolutely essential. I think for the world that is seeking improvement and you know a world of self-improvement, not that we just want to jump into that, it's really important for the evangelists today and our gospel sharing not to just finish that forgiveness, but remind people that we are introducing them to a whole new fulfilling lifestyle that is God-given, God-approved, and is promised by God through the power of the Spirit. We won't be perfect, but we can be the kind of person God wants us to be and we want to be as he starts writing on the slate. I, totally. And, and, uh, and I just really believe, Neil, people are looking not just for the clean slate, but do you mean that actually I can start reclaiming what was lost in my own life? Yes, you can. Wonderful. Uh, 1-800-316-316 to join in our conversation. Let's hear from Faye in Murrayville in Victoria. Hello, Faye. Welcome along. Hello, Neil, and hello, Ross. Hi. Hello, Faye. Um, yeah, great to be with you this morning. Um, i just really inspired by the things that you're talking about, Ross. Um, I was inspired by a book by John Eldridge called All Things New. Um, mm. And he's you know, the words of Jesus when he said, Behold, I make all things new. Uh, the word he used in the Greek, palingensia, means beginning again. The mm. genesis again. Um, mm. And so when we realize we're renewed, I can't fall back on my old hang-ups as an excuse. Mm. And I... Um, I can, if I can imagine myself with no hang-ups, no, no stuff-ups, nothing like that, well, that's how God sees us and wants us to be now. Um, and just can I draw in one other point in that if everything is made new and that is what heaven is for us, we don't need to grasp every earthly experience now. We can make sacrifice now because we know we have it all for eternity. Whereas like when we get disappointed because, you know, I can't make this holiday, I can't go to this place, it's like doesn't matter because it's all going to be restored. Um, does that make any sense? Good thoughts, Faye. Ross, your thoughts for Faye? Oh, look, absolutely, Faye. I think you've uh, nailed it in the sense that we start the journey now, but we're relaxed about how much of the journey is completed until we get to heaven. doesn't mean we fall back to the old ways, but we know all of the blessings that are going to be ours in eternity and not necessarily going to be received in the fullness now as we walk 
you know, an, an earthly journey. Totally agree. And everything new, Faye, go, go back to John's gospel or go to Mark's gospel. Go to the end, the first day of the week at uh, resurrection appearances, and every gospel begins on the first day of the week, the first day of the week. And that is taking you directly back to Genesis 1 and 2 on the first day of the week. On the first day of the week in Genesis 1, light breaks into darkness and chaos. What happens on the first day of the week as I go to the garden, as I go to the garden, light starts breaking through as the women go to the garden. This is intentional, as you said, Eldridge, this is intentional. First day of the week, this is the new day, new creation. The slate's being written on. <laughs> Claim it. Uh, I, one of my concerns is that we're really good at pointing the finger at each other and people and saying, you know, this is your sin, this is where you are, and this is what you've got to get cleaned up. And that's important to get the clean slate. But we don't project what they can be. <laughs> we don't project what God has called them to be. And I'd rather project what people can be and then say, by the way, you can't get there unless if you, first of all, deal with the rubbish in your life, get a clean slate, then get God can take you to who you want to be, who God wants you to be. Oh, that's exciting. Wonderful stuff. Faye, thank you so much for your call. Our talkback line open, 1-800-316-316. Let's take another call. Lawrence is in Perth. Hello, Lawrence. Uh, yes, I've been a Christian for a number of years, and uh, I believe in Jesus Christ, and um, the, uh, we will be going to heaven if we believe in him. But uh, I find myself falling so often into... Uh, the church uh, machinery, you know, falling into a rut, that sort of thing. Can you offer some suggestions? Um, it's a quite, a, quite, a, quite a temptation, isn't it? Wonderful, Lawrence. Uh, Ross, your thoughts? Yeah, look, uh, well said, Lawrence. And we can get caught up with all the minor things, caught up with committees and all the another spaghetti supper, all the things that take us away from Christian living. So what's been key for me is really evaluating my life and really asking if I'm taking enough time to focus on the things I should focus on and holding myself accountable for that and learning to say no to stuff if it's just going to continue to bind me in action rather than contemplation and allowing God to work in my life and then move this new day into me. But, mate, you're spot on. Um, Look, uh, I once preached in a church in in another state. They asked me to preach for their... um, anniversary and the title i gave them is do nothing for god and they came back when i got down there the title on the outside the church was be active for god and i said well hey hang on i mean you changed the title and the black guy said it must be misprint you didn't mean do nothing for god i said yes i did do nothing in the context of taking time not just to be active not just to get caught up and as genesis look at the, the nature of rest look at rest hebrews says we're entering god's rest what does that mean? One of the things that God's writing on my new script is, you've entered my rest, Ross. You've entered my day where you and I are in a love, caring relationship. Explore it, grow in it, and don't let another committee take you away from my rest. Now, Neil, I love committees. <laughs> <laughs> You're a Baptist. <laughs> but I do go back to that Amos 5 passage where God says, I hate your assemblies. I hate your feasts. And sometimes I think, yeah, if you've been to a Baptist, we understand God why you hate them. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. But you know what I mean? Keep it in perspective. But Lawrence, don't give up, mate. Rely on the Holy Spirit. 
Don't do it all in your own strength. Keep a vision of what it can be and ask God to continue to work that in your life. But know where you're heading. Know what's being reclaimed. Know what be, what's being recaptured. But Russ Clifford, I want to ask you about this resurrection life. We talked about the new birth, the start of something eternal, and there's a bit of a crossover from what was to what can be and will be and now is. But for you, Ross, there was a moment in time when you realized that there was something more and something different, and there was a new uh, writer at work on the slate of your own life. Give us your insights in here as to that moment when everything changed for you. Yeah, look, the penny dropped, Neil, and I think it was really trying to dig deep about what it means to be in Christ. I came across a book by a man called Colin Urquhart uh, many years ago that talked about what it means to be in Christ. That was really helpful. But then in my looking at the resurrection, the penny really dropped to be in Christ. It dropped for me is to love God, love your neighbor, fulfill the scripts being rewritten. That will happen if Genesis 1 and 2 is back on your heart, if that's back on your slate. And that, for me, was the most helpful moment. And I just found it was helpful for other people. And I guess that's why the, um, the, the, the book is being done with my mate Jim from um, Virginia. So, Neil, that was when the penny dropped. And I think for many people, they're wanting the penny to drop, <laughs> not just for them, but for others. They want to be the first day of the new week. They, they want to be the first day of the week. They want to be part of the new creation. They've appreciated the message of the cross and forgiveness. But what does the slate look like? Let's start writing on that. And so practical illustrations of what that looks like. But the Bible doesn't leave us uh, to make up, you know, it's all, well, God will write whatever you want on your slate, you know. (laughs) No, God will write on that slate what we lost in the garden. That's what he'll write on the slate. This is what you're getting back. This is is the new you. Ross, how do we connect God writing on the slate with where we are at today, because there's some terminology we like to use in church life. Uh, We love the word revival, and there's an anticipation for that. Another way of thinking about that more broadly across even an unbelieving population might be in this idea of awakening uh, the idea of new purpose and destiny, uh, this penny dropping and appreciating that, those words like revival and awaken, are they connected with uh, with what happens when you're actually getting a, a new notion of what it is to walk in resurrection oh. life? Oh, absolutely. So you look at all the great revival movements that happened throughout our history. Well, look what happens with revival movements. The whole of education and care for the poor is changed. The whole sense of hospitals and ministry is changed. The whole sense of standing up for liberation against slavery is changed. So, Neil, um, revival, getting a sense of God's writing something new on my script, being called to be born again and seeing the script is empty, and then asking the power of the Spirit to rewrite the garden, that changes everything, mate. It's as you know, the old atheist is now a Christian. Uh, Peter Hitchens said uh, when that question was asked on uh, Q&A, what was the world's most dangerous idea? And Tony Jones didn't want to hear the answer he gave him. But this ex-atheist said 
the world's most dangerous idea is that 2,000 years ago, this guy called Jesus died and rose again in history because if it's true, it changes everything. The script, the, 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 the slate has a new message on it. Well, dangerous ideas we're talking about today. 1-800-316-316, talking resurrection life. You can join in our conversation. Let's take another call. Union Jack is in Sunbury in Victoria. Hi, Jack. Don't shoot. You're supposed to say hello, Jack. <laughs> hello, Jack. <laughs> hello, sorry. Hi, Jack. Not hi, Jack. That's, that's not what you all yell out on airport. <laughs> how do you do, Jack? It's anything but hi, Jack. <laughs> Jack, uh, what anyway, are your thoughts? I'm oh, sorry, sorry, what you going to say? What are your thoughts? Well, my thoughts, you know, look, you see, I, I'm reading this book, well, I'm reading this next book, but this book is about, uh, it's written by Pablo Martinez, he's Spanish, uh, Spain's leading evangelical scientist, uh, psychiat- psychiatrist. And, I mean, I've escaped from some of the most, um, all the asylums, some of the churches are, they don't speak my language, they talk about uh, about <clears throat> religion rather than faith. So you have to have people who are are, are, uh, are with the Holy Spirit, uh, you know, and you can, you can, we all personally have a relationship with the Holy Spirit, some people don't, they just go through the religious motions, which is a sort of a bit of a, an enemy, in a way, it's blinding to the truth which I think you have said there, that uh, you sort of had this um, revelation that there was more, and there certainly was more, because I was I was in that category all my life until the 22nd of October in the middle of the night in Northwest Hospital, uh, and I was doing a patrol, and I, I was filled with the Holy Spirit, exactly like uh, Saul on the road to Damascus. And, and when, you, when you know people who've had that same experience, you know, you sort of can feel they've, they've gone through it. They've, Jack, you're making some really fabulous points here. Mm. And uh, what I can hear you touching on is the role of the Holy Spirit so that you're not just going through the motions. Things are not just mechanical. Mm. Uh, Ross mm. Clifford, what are your thoughts for Jack? Oh, spot on. You know, we can't write the new script. We can't put on the slate that's empty. We can't do it in our own strength. It's only the Spirit of God that can do that. And, of course, Neil, that's the whole promise, isn't it? Uh, there's going to be a new covenant. It's not a covenant of circumcision, but a covenant of the Holy Spirit. There's going to be a pouring out of the Holy Spirit. Well, pouring out the Holy Spirit for what? Pouring out of the Holy Spirit is to reshape, to recharge, to reclaim my life into what it was in Genesis 1 and 2, and therefore walk with God and witness and model that in my, my society, in my community, in my church. Uh, yeah, I totally agree. Totally agree with Jack. This is not something of ourselves. This could only happen because Jesus rose from the dead. It could only happen because the tomb is empty. It could only happen because our eyes are fixed on the Damascus Road. Our eyes are fixed on the empty tomb. Our eyes are fixed on the new gardener. We know that through his power... 
his rewriting our script is underway. Wonderful. Union Jack, thanks so much for your call. 1-800-316-316. Just before we move on from there, Scripture comes to mind for me, Ross, connecting the Holy Spirit and this rewriting of the slate and what he would be leading us into. Uh, Just can't help but reflect on the Scripture in John chapter 20. Uh, Jesus breathes on the disciples and they receive Mm. the Holy Spirit. And this is even before the day of Pentecost. But he says Mm. to them, as I have been sent, so send I you. So the Holy Spirit in the mission of Christ, the mission of the followers of Jesus. Any thoughts here? Yeah, look, totally. And we can't do this without the Holy Spirit. But this is not just a personal journey, as as you pointed out, Neil. This is a journey that we take into the community. This is a journey that we take to our friends and neighbours. And we must plead the cross and repentance and forgiveness of sin. But, Neil, it's a journey about, as we said before, what God wants to do in our lives. How God wants us to have fulfilling marriages and how God wants us to have fulfilling work and how God wants us to stand up the right work practices and how God wants us to have a real sense of wholeness and wellness and what that means in him. So we've got to share that, man. We've got to be out there because people want to hear this. I mean, I, I tell you, I mean, they're desperate for this kind of stuff because they know it's true and they want to experience it. And personal transformation has all of those wonderful benefits that you're talking about, Ross. But we've got community transformation and that ought to, if you're taking that out to a wider field again, the idea of a national transformation. So if individuals are being transformed, families, communities, then entire nations can be transformed. That's the way Christian mission has flourished over the centuries, hasn't it? Oh, yeah, and I still remember being in Irian Jaya for their 50th anniversary for when the gospel came into the hills and the primitive regions of Irian Jaya. And, uh, you know, I was there for 50 years celebration, a role that I had with Baptists. And to see the some of the missionaries, Neil, that were still alive in their 80s land in a plane and then see 10,000 people come out of the hills and pick these missionaries up and put them on their shoulders and take them back to their villages where not only was their church and community and life and forgiveness a new day, there was hospitals, there were schools, there was transformation. And you just watch a gog, Neil. Oh, I mean, my gosh, what has God done here? Resurrection Life, 1-800-316-316. Let's take another call. Graham is in Burnie, Tasmania. Hi, Graham. Good morning, gentlemen. Good day. Uh, look, people need hope. Now, yes, we turn to Christ for salvation, and we, we must be fully baptised and receive the Holy Spirit. So we've got God guiding us. This young world, this world today, has rejected God, and we need to give the young people a hope. And Christ, when he comes, is going to rule this world. The saints will rule him in the millennial reign. And on top of that, uh, as Isaiah 35 tells you, the the desert shall bloom as the rose. And it will be a millennial year, a a thousand years of peace. And that's going to be great to look forward to. Uh, I think in... uh, Ezekiel uh, 
47. If you read that, you'll find that when the water flows out from the temple, wherever that water goes, everything that is dead shall live. It will be a, a new world. All the greenies, if they make it, they'll be very happy. And a lot of us uh, in that millennial reign, if we eat there, will be living human beings. And that will be God's blessing upon the world for a thousand years. <laughs> Graham, good thoughts there. And uh, reflecting primarily on a future time, the resurrection life that happens for us now, uh, rivers of living water flowing from the temple, flowing from Christ and greening everything around it. It's almost like every place your foot shall tread, I'm giving it to you and things will get transformed even in the day, this day of the present. Uh, Ross, your thoughts for uh, making sense of the future and the present? Uh, look, excellent, Graham. Go to Revelation 21 and 22. They're the last two chapters of the Bible. They're not the last chapters by chance. It's all in God's providence. And as you read Revelation 21 and 22, they recapture the garden, the same images of river and flowing and, and a new city and, and new identity in Christ. So the Bible finishes with recapturing what was lost in Genesis 3. But what the Bible does say in the imagery and the stories of Jesus and his instruction that what we see in the future, that river flowing, that, that eternity we long for, as we look for that, that river is already starting to flow in my life through the power of the Holy Spirit. That river is already starting to flow to bring Genesis 1 and 2 back to life. And then I will see it in its fulfillment when Jesus comes back. Oh, wow. Wonderful stuff. Graham, thank you so much for your call. 1-800-316-316. Let's take another call. Natalie is in Samford in Queensland. Hello, Natalie. Hi. Um, you actually just said something, exactly what I was thinking. Uh, recently, a nephew of mine gave me a book I had not read for a long time called The Shack. Do you remember that? Mm. The Shack? Yeah, heard of it. Yes, yes. Yeah. Little, yeah, it's controversial, it's, oh, I might say. It, yep, I know, and it's fictional and it's controversial. But the, the the basis of it was very much that this man who was so so uh, haunted by what had happened to him regained peace and went back into a garden and found God in a really simple way mm. and didn't need to do anything. He just needed to rest in that and know that God had him and loved him and it was all going to be okay. And Natalie, that's kind of how I feel too in my good life, thought you there. Uh, Ross, your thoughts for Natalie? Oh, look, thank you, Natalie. And, uh, again, the shack is controversial. I don't want to unpack it all. But what you've picked on is you know, when, when the shack was at its highest in sales, you couldn't go into, when we could fly, you couldn't go to an airport bookshop not to see the shack at the front being sold. What does that tell us? That people were looking for exactly what you said, Natalie. People were looking for a sense of rest and peace and the presence of God, and that is part of what God writes on our blank slate, that I will never leave you. In fact, Neil, the interesting thing is that when you look at Revelation 21 and 22, God is more present than he is in Genesis 1 and 2. Genesis 1 and 2, they have an understanding of God. Uh, they, they hide from God when they, the, the sin comes in Genesis 3. God is hovering, if you like. But in Revelation 21 and 22, God is in our midst in the person of Jesus. This is even greater than Genesis 1 and 2. 
this sense of the presence of God is even greater, mate. And Wonderful. It's already started. Excellent stuff. Natalie, thank you so much for your call. Let's take another one. Barbara is in Western Australia. Hi, Barbara. Hi, how you going? Good. Yeah. I was just I was just listening, I just come back from school drop off and um I was just listening and um I've never heard of anyone having that same experience with the Holy Spirit. Um my dad was driving over the railway line and as he drove from one side to the other the Holy Spirit hit him. And he, as he drove from one side, he was normal to the other side. He saw everything in the spirit. And he said he looked at his father's house and the whole, the windows were just full of demons screaming as he's approaching the house. And it, it, it's just surreal because I, I can relate to dad because dad's experienced that in, it, it didn't. He didn't change. Like his life, his heart didn't change. But he, as he went down the road, um, he had an experience in hell. He he said that his his term is he was dipped in hell like a tea bag, and um, he said that he was in like a holding cell, and he said the. The experience struck him the most that was the absence of the presence of God there. Barbara, you have raised some absolutely wonderful contrasts in that sort of thought. Uh, Ross, your thoughts for Barbara? Uh, Barbara, thank you. And yes, it's a penny dropping. The penny dropping about who we are and the world we're in is often a penny dropping about the reality of spiritual warfare and the things that are around about us. And so we're doubly dependent on not just an empty slate, but a slate that's being filled up with what God wants us to do and empower us in that situation. Neil, uh, yes, I, I preach in chapel here. Uh, Barbara, have a look at 2 Timothy 2.8. 2 Timothy 2.8, because in verse 9 and 10, Paul's telling us he's going off to suffer again. He's going to be chained. The Bible could not be chained. He's going into that darkness and evil, that hellish place, for the sake of the gospel. But before, immediately before he says, this is my gospel. Jesus, descendant from David, seed of David, and he is risen. Paul's slate was full of the sense of the victories that Christ had brought in his life and the restoration of his life and the reclaiming of his life, and no chains could hold him. Wonderful, Barbara. Thank you so much for your call. And running short of time now, just to, to pick up on the penny dropping here for a moment and, and some of those images that Barbara was talking about. Some people might think that's a bit, uh, you know, off the edge, a little bit disturbing, uh, you know, demons in the windows and uh, various things like that. When the penny drops, we sometimes think, Ross, of the goodness of God that comes with a transformed life and how he's leading me in change and mission. But the penny dropping as to the the emptiness and the stark reality of a life without God 
Is that an equal, powerful, penny-dropping moment that you recognise that the emptiness of this life is not worth holding on to? Oh, absolutely. But sometimes, Neil, one of our roles is to help people understand what that emptiness looks like. I, I, I don't have the love and family and marriage that I, I, I ought to have. I don't understand work as I ought to have. I don't have the sense of wellness and wholeness and God in my life as I ought to have. I mean, you know, I don't have an understanding of rest that I'm feeling comfortable with. So often the sense of emptiness comes from us sharing and projecting what can be ours if we're truly human through the power of the Holy Spirit in the resurrected life of Jesus as the script is being written. And then people go, I want some of that. I want some of that. I want some of it, Neil. And God's giving us some of it uh, as we look to the future. So I think the emptiness, we help people by explaining what life looked like, what we lost, that that's been forgiven in the cross, and now God's writing again on our hearts what it can be and empowering us to experience that. Oh, what a God. Ross, no doubt there'll be some listening to our conversation today who are going to be saying, I can hear what you are saying, Ross Clifford. How do I get the next step? How do I make this happen? Some who are uh, far from church and looking to reconnect with God, some who need to go through that experience we were talking a little bit about earlier, a new birth, and others who are saying, well, now that I am born again, now that I want the penny to drop for me and the, the, the empty blank slate to be rewritten or the gardener in the new garden transplanting, taking the weeds out and putting in some of his plants, uh, where do you start with all of this? How do you advise our listeners today to get the fresh start that they need? Knowledge and experience, Neil. We need to know what we've lost. You know, apart from my book, read Genesis 1 and 2. Uh, then read Genesis 3 and see what was lost, see what we had, see how it's restored in Revelation 21, 22. Read those five chapters, Genesis 1 to 3, Revelation 21 and 22. Know what the garden looked like, know what God created, know what was lost, know what's restored. And then come before God and experience his forgiveness in the cross and then say, Lord, I'm, I'm walking with you. I just don't want a blank slate. I want the garden to be reenacted in my life, in my community, through the power of your spirit. And I have a sense of what it looks like. I know what you're offering me. I know what you want to do in my life. And yes, Jesus, do. please, Lord Jesus. Time has run out. If you want to get a hold of Ross's new book, it's called Rise, R-I-S-E, Reimagining the Resurrection Life. You can find it in all online booksellers and uh, simply Google uh, Rise, Reimagining the Resurrection Life. Ross Clifford and his co-author is Jim Bocom. He's the senior pastor of Columbia Church, Virginia, in the United States. And Ross is the principal of Morling Theological College in Sydney. I mentioned it's the largest ministry training college in Australia, and you might want to check out how you can train for ministry. You might be thinking, that's been on my heart for some time. Maybe that's where God is leading me. Find out some more detail. Go to morling.edu.au. 
A-U-M-O-R-L-I-N-G, morling.edu.au. Ross Clifford, thank you so much for taking time to share your thoughts and your heart with us today on 2020. Thank you. Thank you, Neil. Blessings, Neil, and blessings to all the listeners. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au. 